I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to the Game Changers podcast. Welcome back to the Game Changers podcast. I am so incredibly grateful to have you here today. And I am so incredibly grateful that I got to sit down with today's guest because she's just a dead set legend, to be honest. So I feel like she needs no introduction because if you have ever listened to a podcast, which of course you have because you're here right now. You know, if you've ever perused either Spotify or iTunes looking for valuable nuggets, you've probably come across the Socialette podcast run by the amazing Steph Taylor because it's one of the best podcasts around that has to do with business and marketing. So I had the pleasure of sitting down with Steph to talk about not only her incredible dedication to content creation, I mean, honestly, you have to go listen to this podcast. It is jam-packed full of marketing advice, but delivered to you in the most gorgeous, bite-sized, digestible pieces. Sometimes I listen to podcasts, I'm like, why did you need to take five, you know, 50 minutes to tell me one piece of advice? Steph gets straight to the point and it is incredibly helpful. But I had the pleasure of sitting down with her today and speaking about launches, which is one of her all-time favorite topics. And if you're someone who's running an online business, it is most likely that you're going to have to do some type of launch, either launching a product, launching a podcast, launching the business itself. This is Steph's area of expertise. And we really broke down not only how to have successful launches, but what to do in the instance of a failed launch and how to continually grow and grow and grow. So I am going to stop rambling and, of course, jump into the episode. As always, please do reach out to myself and Steph and let us know what you think about today's episode. I really, really, really hope you enjoy. Let's jump in. Welcome back to Game Changers. I'm thrilled to bring you today's guest. I really tried not to say excited things. So I feel like I start every thing. I'm so excited. Oh. Now I'm just going to change up my adjectives. <laughs> but I am, I am honestly pumped for today's episode because we have a very special guest. She is Steph Taylor and we are going to be jumping all into launches. I am so excited. Welcome to the show, lovely. Thanks so much for having me. She honestly has like the most professional podcast set up now. I'm looking at it and so jealous. And then she gave me the advice to put a sock over my own podcast mic. <laughs> literally, because I put a white like gym sock and now it literally just looks like there's a condom on top of my microphone. <laughs> you need to get like a pretty patterned one, like polka dots or something. I literally only own white socks. I'm such a plain sock person. Oh. Yeah, maybe I'll get like a leopard print one specifically for this. Sparkly <laughs> socks. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, thank you so much for coming on the show, lovely. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Very good. Very good. So obviously I want to jump into launches. I want to jump into your business, your brand. But for those who are meeting you for the first time, I feel like no one's going to be meeting you for the first time because your podcast is like always at the top of the charts. <laughs> and so people will know you if they've ever listened to a business podcast. <laughs> but if you could just kind of jump into like the story, the kind of what you do now and how you kind of got here just so we can tuck into that a little bit, you know, talking about your brand. Yeah, sure. So yeah, like you said, these days I help entrepreneurs bring their ideas to life with high impact launches. And I'm the host of Socialette, a bite-sized online marketing podcast. And yeah, I've been doing the business thing for almost four years now, which is kind of scary. And it's been, it has been such a journey. So I first started out with a health food product-based business and like that, while that didn't work out, it was the biggest learning experience I have ever had. And it was just like, I, I don't think I've learned anything in the last, or like, I think I learned more in that one year than I have in the last three years, basically. Yeah, wow. So then from that, I pivoted into a marketing agency. And then I finally found my groove doing what I do now, which is teaching people how to DIY their marketing, DIY their launches. And yeah, it was, I guess from that product-based health food business, six months in, I realized, okay, I don't actually like being tied to one location. And the problem with a product-based business, right, is somebody has to ship out orders. Yeah. But you can't really outsource that until you have minimum order quantities, which I was like, okay, I probably am not going to be, I'm not keen to be packing 999 orders in my living room before I can outsource them at a thousand orders a month. Like that was just not going to happen. So that I was, yeah, I wasn't really too stoked being tied to one location. I'm such a big traveler. So that was really just like chaining me, keeping me in one place. So then I realized what I actually loved most about running that business was the marketing and the content creation. So I pivoted that into an agency and at the peak of that, it was me and three others. And that was fun, but the client stuff wasn't really lighting me up that much. And then I launched my first course, Facebook ads DIY course. And I realized how many people there were out there who don't have the budget for somebody else to do it for them, but they actually do want to learn. And from there, it's just been like a series of small pivots and tweaks and things. But now I'm, I've finally found my groove and it feels good. I love that so much. And this is the thing that I just, I like took a little note as you were speaking, because one thing that I think is so important when people are starting a business, and I, I guess you would agree is to kind of reverse engineer the life that you want to live yourself. So you mentioned that yeah. even though you started this product-based business, there was just this disalignment with how you kind of wanted to live out your days. And so it really is about, I guess, planning the vision for the life you want to have first and then creating the business that fits that. Exactly. And I didn't realize just how important that was until I found myself stuck somewhere where I wasn't happy. Like I'd left corporate life so I could travel more and have that freedom. But yet here I was running a business that did the complete opposite of that. Like I actually even had less freedom than I did in a corporate job because I didn't even have annual leave. Yeah, that's crazy. How... Like, what would you say in terms of the pivot was the scariest thing? Because I know a lot of people, they start a business and they do maybe find out that, hey, this isn't actually all it's cracked up to be. It's not really what I thought it was going to be. But then they feel so afraid of pivoting. What would be your advice to those people? Because it can oh. be really scary. 
Yes, it is terrifying. And I think I, I think it took me about six months from when I had that realization to when I actually pivoted. Yeah. And I think for me, it was the fear of what other people were going to think of me and that people would think I'd failed. So that's why I sat on it for so long. And I think at the end of the day, people don't really care as much as we think they do. Yes, I agree with that so much. For so long, I was like, oh, everyone's going to think I've failed. I've run out of money. Like they, I was worried people would say, I told you so. Cause I had a lot of like family and friends being like, oh, you realize like nine out of 10 businesses or whatever the statistic was, nine out of 10 businesses fail. But uh, yeah, I was just so scared of them saying like, ha, I told you so. And yeah, I just, I would say just take that action because the longer you sit on it, the worse you're going to feel about it, the scarier it's going to be. Yeah. And people are still not going to care anymore. You might just run out of money a lot faster. Yeah. What would you say your relationship with failure is now? Because it sounds like Mm. you move quite quickly these days. Like it took you a little while in that first instance, but I've heard you speak about how now it's like you said that you're indecisive or you change your mind or something a lot, (laughs) but like, you know, you seem to like move a lot quicker in your decisions now. So I guess you must have changed your relationship with failure. How do you think you did that? Or what is your relationship with failure now? Yeah. So now I try to look at my business as an experiment. Like I try to think of it as a game almost like everything I do. I'm like, okay, this might work. It might not work. Let's throw the spaghetti against the wall. See if it sticks. If it does, then yay, that's great. Let's keep doing that. If it doesn't work well, you know, you can either, you can either sit there in bed drinking a glass of wine and crying about it, which like, I'm not going to lie. I have done that. (laughs) (laughs) Or you can, um, And like, yeah, that's fine to do for like a day or two, but you don't want to sit there and just focus on that failure forever. You want to be able to think, okay, so why didn't this work? And what can I do differently next time to make sure that it doesn't fail again? Or like, what can I do to improve, to pivot into something that works better for me? Or, you know, like it's figuring out what caused it and how you can change that. I love that so much. And I think that's something that is such a big misconception. We kind of started speaking about this before we went and started recording because I think again with social media and the way social media is a lot of people are like, this is how much money I'm making. These are all the amazing launches that I'm doing. And whilst there are a lot of people being quite vulnerable, especially in these interview settings, I think as a whole, we mostly see that amazing stuff that's going on. And then we as humans are just designed to like fill in the rest. And so we fill in the rest with good stuff, but really I think anyone who's ever been great has like succeed on a, I mean, has failed on a massive, massive scale. Oh yeah. Like you hear all the stories. Um, I can't think none of them come to mind right now, but you hear of all like the big, the big names that we know, like I'm pretty sure Jeff Bezos had like some failed businesses before Amazon. Like everyone's had failures. People just don't always talk about them. It's funny as well. Cause I think a lot of people, I love comedy and like everyone talk, like Kevin Hart is obviously huge in this industry yeah. right now. And he talks about this a lot. Cause he's like, everyone calls me an overnight success and says that I came out of nowhere. He's like, but I have 20 years of no's. And it's just yeah. like, that's what it takes to get successful. Because if you don't get the no, if you don't get the rejection, if you don't have the failure, how are you ever supposed to grow? And how will you appreciate the success if you haven't yeah. had failures? Yeah. It puts it all in perspective big time. Massively. I love that. What? If I may pry, <laughs> what would you say has been your like biggest failure in business? Oh, it's so interesting because the nature of the failures, like as my business has grown and shifted and everything, the failures have just got like, they feel like they're bigger, but 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, my biggest failure, like my most recent one was a failed launch, um, but that was, wasn't really so much my fault as the tech platform that I was using. But I guess my biggest failure was probably that first business because there was a lot that I didn't consider. And like running a product-based business is a beast. Like there is just so much you have to consider. And the fact that the business was a subscription box, right? So that's such a unique model because you're, A, you're marketing your product to get more customers, but B, you're also, you have to market the products that into the boxes because you're paying like wholesale or below wholesale, below cost prices sometimes even for these products in return for the idea that you're going to market them and get those products in front of all these people. So it's like you're dealing with other businesses, you're dealing with customers. It's a very... Stakeholders. Yeah, it's it's so demanding. And I I didn't realize just how much went into running a product-based business. I launched it probably within like two months of coming up with the idea. I probably should have given it six months of planning at least. But like I move very quickly, right? When I have an idea, when I'm inspired, I'm like, okay, cool, let's get it out there. And... It's it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. I mean, I could pl- I could have planned a lot more. Yeah, uh, I agree and disagree because I'm very much the same as you. I'm like, if I have an idea, this needs to be done yesterday. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I think there's many times where it's like, oh, I maybe should have planned this more. But I think it's in the doing that the planning actually happens. Yeah, I move forward with something that I'm like, oh, now I actually see. I mean, it's really hard to understand how to get through the maze if you're not actually in it, right? You can't stand at the yeah. front and be like, how do I get through here? It's not until you start seeing where all of the turns are that you can start assessing where to move next. And so I love that. I agree and kind of disagree. I think like taking <laughs> action and then planning. Yeah. But of course, yes, I guess maybe I don't have enough experience in product businesses. Maybe it's a little <laughs> different, but <laughs> um. One thing I just love about you, and it was like literally the first thing we said as soon as we jumped on the phone or on the Zoom, (laughs) I was like, you create a crap ton of content, like a crap ton. I would love to hear from you because I, one of the biggest questions that I get from people all the time being a YouTuber is how do you come up with content ideas? Like, do you ever run Mm. out of ideas? How do you stay so organized? So I kind of want to throw those questions to you. Like, how do you actually come up with ideas and keep them so consistent? Three a week is it that you do? Yeah. Well, most of the time, like occasionally it doesn't happen. And I used to be so hard on myself with that. Like it was my number one priority. And now I've realized, you know what, like if I miss an episode or two, it's not the end of the world. There's still so much content for my audience to consume, but okay. So where do I get my ideas from? A lot of my ideas come directly from my audience. So I'll get people reaching out, asking questions and like, I'm like, I'm a busy person, right? I spend enough time. I like, I have so much time to, or or, like I have to spend a lot of time working with my existing clients. So it's not really fair on them if I'm spending the time that I should be spending on them answering other people's questions for free. So what I'll then do is I'll say, well, okay, I've answered, I'm going to answer your question in a podcast episode. And then it becomes something because everyone's dealing with the same problems, right? I mean, there's only so many different things we can be dealing with in a business everyone's dealing with the same stuff. So yeah, I mostly I get it directly from my audience. Occasionally when I run out of ideas, I'll put up a question sticker on Instagram stories and I'll say like, Hey guys, what do you want to see on the podcast? 
And like 90% of the time, it's stuff I've already done, but you know. <laughs> Always the way. Yeah. Hey, can you make a video on this? I'm like, that was last week. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing is like just talking through different things that I'm dealing with in my business. And yeah. like, because sometimes different things come up for me and I, I go through different struggles and then I come out of it and I'm like, oh, okay. Like this is something that other people are dealing with as well. Let me talk about it. Yeah, and that's it, the easiest to do. Was it the same when you first started the podcast? Because I think I've definitely heard that advice before, you know, get get the content essentially from what your audience is asking. But the debate with a lot of people who are just starting out is like, I don't have an audience asking me <laughs> stuff. So in the beginning, when you didn't have the audience you have now, where were you kind of getting those ideas from? Was that more so your what you were going through? Yeah. So... I mean, I, I was lucky because I already had an audience before I launched my podcast. Right. Um, it's only, my podcast's only been around maybe 18 months now. Cool. But for me, it was just a lot of, like the easiest, the earliest podcast episodes were the easiest because there was just so much I could speak about that I knew and that I enjoyed speaking about and that I thought, well, people need to know this stuff. Yeah. And it's only been more recently that I've shifted towards talking more about like my own failures, my own struggles, like the mindset stuff, because now that I've exhausted all of the, there's only so much you can learn about like Facebook ads and Instagram and that kind of thing. For sure. And now it's more like, okay, well, let's talk, let's get real about some of the struggles and some of the, you know, the not so highlight reel of business. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you said that as well, because I'm such a big believer in like, you are the content, your life mm. is the content. You know, Gary Vaynerchuk is always talking about like document, document, document. Yeah. And it is so true. Like you should never run out of content because I'm sure you never run out of thoughts. And like whatever's <laughs> on your mind relative to your business is something that you can share with your audience. Exactly. And like, I do a lot of online courses. I do a lot of programs, that kind of thing. So I'm always learning new stuff. And then a lot of that stuff that I'm learning, I'm like, well, my audience is going to benefit from this as well. I mean, obviously I'm not going to rip off what I've learned word for word from a course, but the, the whole concept, yeah. sometimes yeah. that's just exactly what your audience needs to hear. And you don't know what you don't know. Like, I'm sure there is so much more out there that I could talk about on my podcast and I just haven't come across it yet. Yeah. Oh my God. I just like am so in love with you right now. Like <laughs> learning. I just love it. But I like that. Unfortunately, I just see that like so many people do complain about not having enough content and then aren't willing to kind of go that extra mile with learning. And it's the people mm. who are just like dedicated to being lifelong learners, whether it be courses, podcasts, books, you know, you can absorb information from anywhere. Like the, I just see it as very simple, like a cake, the more ingredients you put in, the better the cakes <sighs> come out, or the more cakes you can bake, whatever. However, yeah. you take that analogy, <laughs> but like you need ingredients to bake a cake, right? That's so funny that you say that because the podcast episode I released today was just on how it's so important to invest in yourself. Yeah, for sure. Because exactly. yeah, like I said, you don't know what you don't know. Exactly, exactly. I want to talk about launches. I'm okay. so excited. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> Do you know what? Because it's definitely something that I am obsessed with as well. Like I love, mm. love, love to launch, but I love that nobody really does it the same. Like everyone yeah. has kind of own unique like formula and strategy. And I think it's just so amazing the work that you do, how you teach people, because it is just such an elusive thing. I really do think that like in the beginning, especially if you know nothing about launching, nothing about marketing, nothing about, you know, how to actually sell stuff to people, yeah. the biggest part where people fail, unfortunately, in their businesses. So 
talk to us about it's the six six p's six p's yes I was saying in my head before, I'm like, the six key pillar strategy. I'm like, no, that's one of my things. <laughs> <laughs> Close, but not quite. <laughs> Close, but no cigar. The six P's. The six P's. Yeah. So, okay. So, the six P's framework is at a high level, it's people, position, plan, promote, push, and then post-launch. So, I'm going to dive into each one of those a little bit more. So, the first P is people. And so many people forget to do this one. And this is basically where you're figuring out who your launch is for. Now, what most people do, right, is they'll come up with an idea and then they'll launch it and then they'll be like, okay, cool, let me find the people who are going to buy this product. Like, let me find the right customers for it. And that's backwards because you first need to figure out who your customers or your clients are going to be, figure out what their struggles are, and then come up with a solution for it. So yeah, firstly, figure out who the heck you're launching to. And then, yeah. I just want to cut, that's such an ancient way of doing marketing, isn't it? It's so crazy that people still do that. I mean, that's like the the peak of like advertising and before the age of the internet, it's like, hey, I'm just going to create these socks that look like content. And just put them on a TV and just like broadcast it to as many people as possible, hoping exactly. that people who want to buy them will find it. And I feel like that's such an old school mentality. The internet was created as a two-way communication street. You have the opportunity to listen to your audience. Like why not yeah. do what they actually want? Exactly right. And the truth is like no amount of marketing, no amount of paid ads is going to sell a product that nobody wants. Yeah. You can throw thousands and thousands of dollars into Facebook ads every day, but if nobody wants your product, you're not going to make a profit from that. So that's where a lot of people go wrong. And yeah, like when you feel like it's an uphill battle trying to sell your product or your service, then that's probably where you're going wrong. And that like, that was where I went wrong with my product based business because I had this idea that I was like, Oh, I want this product. So therefore everyone else is going to want it as well. And I launched it and then I was like, okay, cool. So who actually am I selling this to? I don't know. I don't even know. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. But again, learning from those failures. (laughs) Exactly. And then the other part of people is... <laughs> the other part of the sec of the first P people is actually starting to build your audience before you launch it. So like having that audience not launching to crickets on launch day. Um again, something so many people forget. Oh, I'm so sorry, lovely. He, oh, that's he okay. doesn't the thing is like there's someone at the front door, so Aww. he's normally good. He's normally Cute. good. Anyway, I'll continue. Um, Okay. And then, so we've got the second P, which is position. And this is coming up with like your offer and then communicating it to your audience in a way that actually makes them want to buy. Again, something that so many people don't do right. And like we get, we get so focused on selling the features. So maybe we're selling like a coaching program. We focus on the fact that we're selling coaching rather than we're selling a transformation. People don't want coaching. They don't want another course. They don't want like another product. They want a transformation. How is this going to change their lives? So you've got to figure out what transformation you're selling and then you need to actually validate that offer. So make sure that people, the right people want to buy that offer from you. And I love that. Once yeah. I saw a course I was going to buy, I think, I think the course, it must've been on YouTube or something like that. But literally the first line when it started talking about like what was involved in the course was like 17 hours of video. I was like, Oh no. That, that's <laughs> what you expect me to buy? 17 hours? 
I don't have yeah. hours to watch a video. Like, what the hell is this? It's so funny that you say that because I think like as humans, we have this perception that like the more content, the more value, right? But if somebody was, if somebody said to you, like, I can get you through this, like, I can get you this transformation. What was the transformation they were selling? Was it like a... I think it was just like the SEO side of YouTube. I can't exactly okay. remember. Like, so I, 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 I didn't go past that. I know more. I was like, no thanks. I can teach you. Imagine if it was like, I can teach you how to SEO your YouTube videos so you get more traffic in 17 hours or I can teach you how to SEO your YouTube videos so you get more traffic in two hours. Yeah. Which one are you going to pick? Like it's, it's still the same transformation, but less time. For sure. So, yeah, it's about communicating that value properly. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, with the validation, it's so, so often people will ask their family and friends and they'll be like, hey, like, do you think this is a good idea? And their family and friends are like, they're not going to have a difficult conversation with you. They're going to be like, yeah, it's a great idea. Go for it. That's not, the, that's not how you validate something. And so, like, you can even go out and interview your audience and survey them. But until somebody actually pays real money for it, you don't know if there's an audience for it. And like that's, it, it's tough because pre-selling is a really scary thing to do, but it's such a good way of validating things. For sure. Yeah. So then we've got the third P and that's the planning. It's pretty like pretty straightforward, setting your goals, breaking them down, setting out your timeline. I'm not going to dive too deeply into that because it varies so much depending on what you're launching. Do you think it's important to have financial goals for a launch for someone who's maybe even just starting out? Like, is that a good indicator of how the launch went? It is. If you're just starting out and it's your first launch, financial goals can be a good idea. Like they're a good idea because it gives you something to aim for. Yeah. But at the same time, I wouldn't get too upset about it if you don't hit those goals in your first launch because you don't really know what your numbers are. You don't know like what percentage of your audience is going to convert. You don't know anything in that first launch. It's only the second launch onwards when you're doing the same, launching the same product or launching the same audience where you have an idea of, okay, this is how many people on my email list typically buy, like, or this is how many people will register for my webinar. This is how many people will convert from the webinar. And then you can work based on that. But in a first launch, it's more really like testing the waters and seeing like what's going to happen. What are the, I guess we'll talk about this, I guess it would be a part of the post-launch, but what are like Mm. the numbers that people should really be looking out for in that first launch? Like are there a specific set of measurables that you would say are most important for someone who is just getting started? Yeah. So earnings per lead, if you're running paid ads, earnings per lead and cost per lead, super important. Um, Your conversion rates, so conversion rate from your email list, if you're running something like a webinar, looking at what percentage of people are attending and then what percentage of those people who attended converted. Yeah. Those are probably most important. Um, yeah, earnings per lead, cost per lead are sort of the main measures of whether it was profitable or not though. So for someone who is maybe just like yeah. totally new to this, <laughs> what's earnings per lead and cost per lead? Yeah, okay. So earnings per lead. So let's say you're running Facebook ads to acquire, to get people onto your email list for your launch, right? So you're paying, let's say you paid $300 and you got a hundred new people onto your list. That's $3 per person that you've paid to get onto your list. If say your overall launch generates $3,000, $3,000 divided by those hundred people that are on your list, that's $30 per lead that you've made, right? Yeah. So you know $30 minus $3 is 
$27. You've made $27 per lead. It's profitable. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. But that's, that's okay. So that's, assu- that's assuming it's a digital product and there aren't any other costs to like manufacture it or anything like that. But For sure. yeah. Awesome. Cute. Hopefully that was simple enough. That was very simple enough. <laughs> I really appreciate you like going into those details because I know sometimes even when I was starting out like way back, feels like a billion years ago now, but I would always listen to podcasts and they would give like these really, really great tips, but it was always yeah. those little details that I was just like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, and then you just leave feeling like deflated because you're like, all right, now I feel silly. So I'm not even going to bother. Yeah. <laughs> but you oh, explained you- it so gorgeously. Oh, you've just given me a great idea for a freebie I could create, a launch calculator because, yeah, like so many people don't know how to calculate these things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually do that. Do Everyone, <laughs> make sure you follow Steph creating an epic launch calculator. <laughs> Easy. I think I've even got, I've got one that I already use. I could just create that into a template. Easy. Love it. Um, okay. Anyway, so then we've got the next P, which is promote. And that's where you start getting the buzz, like generating the hype because it's, it's like it's one thing to launch and then have crickets, yeah. but it's another thing to launch to some to people who are already excited for your product. And that just really helps to get that traction, helps to yeah. snowball it, helps to get people talking, sharing, all of that. And like there's something just so disheartening about when you launch and there's just nobody there. And then you start to feel like I failed, therefore I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. All those yucky feelings start to come up. Whereas when you launch and launch day is a great day and people are talking about it, then that's like, it all just snowballs from there and it becomes this like great positive thing. So yes, you need to build up a lot of hype pre-launch. Then the next P is push. And this is like your limited launch period. So if it's like an online course, this will be the whatever, like four or five days where your cart opens, your cart closes. If it's for like a new product or a new service, it might be sign up in the next seven days and you get like founding member pricing or like founding student pricing, whatever you want to call it. So the idea is right that this is a limited period of time. So you couldn't, you wouldn't be able to keep up the momentum and keep up the energy that you're putting into this week. You wouldn't be able to keep that up all the time or you would just burn out like big time. It's, it means like showing up on social media every day, emailing your list pretty much every day, you know, going live, doing all of the things that you normally wouldn't do every, literally doing everything. Like I'm, I'm the first person to say that you shouldn't be doing all of the things. The one exception is launch push week. Yeah. And I agree so much. Something that I guess something. Ready to pop the question. The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN that I take into every single launch and ask myself every single day of that launch is what angle can I come at today? So I'm constantly asking myself, what's a new angle? How can I show up? Even if it's just a pattern interrupt, like I'm going to do a live at the dog park today rather than, you know, love that. Like, <laughs> yeah, like little things that are going to capture people's attentions, but yeah. just tiny little details I found help so much. So I love that you said like, yeah, because if I was constantly putting that much attention into mm. making those decisions, I would totally be exhausted. But during that launch period, mm. it is just about like, this is what it's about. How can I turn up the dials? But 
Um, after we talk, I want to definitely get through all of the elements here, but I yeah. do love to go into the mindset because I love to come back to what you said about like, you know, it can be exhausting, but how does someone actually go in and talk like feel energized through the launch? Yeah, that is mindset is hands down like the toughest part, right? So everyone... <sighs> Okay, I'm not going to say everyone, but most people will judge the success of the launch on like day one. Yeah. And if day one was really bad, they're going to say, well, the whole launch flopped. I might as well give up now. The thing is, right, you don't, you, it's not over until it's over. You don't know whether a launch has been successful or not until you get to that last day and you look at the numbers and you know, okay, this launch was good or this launch could be improved upon. Yeah. So like if you're not, if people aren't buying on day one, it doesn't necessarily mean they don't want to buy. They might be figuring out how they can afford this launch. They might be figuring out how they can, um, or they might be just waiting. They might be sitting, waiting until the last minute. That's the thing, right? People will sit on the fence. There's, unless you give them reason to take action right away, they'll sit on the fence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree with that so much. And I have definitely found the way that my launches work is, yeah, I may get a few people enrolling on that first day, but it's always at the end of either an strategy or at the end of the launch itself when most people come in. I mean, even in my most recent launch, 50% of the people signed up on the last day. Yeah. It's so common, right? People, even if you offer really good bonuses, like what I tend to do is if I'm launching a new course, I'll run a webinar. And then at the end of the webinar, I'll be like, look, if you buy while I'm still doing the live Q&A, you get this extra bonus. Even if the bonus is really good, a lot of the time people won't buy because they're like, oh, I need to, you know, figure out how I'm going to get this extra cash into my bank account so I can afford to sign up. Yeah. So, I mean, for a lot of people, it's, yeah, it's, they want to sign up. They just, yeah, they're not sure. They have like a few last objections, that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's like from my experience working with clients as well, like that is, like you said, the mindset is so important because most people will lose that desire to, as we said, change the angle, turn up the dial, do these different elements, email their list, whatever they need to do throughout the entire launch. They'll have that instance where they're like, oh, it doesn't work. And then so they just fizzle out naturally and then call it a launch that hasn't worked when as a matter of fact, like you said, it's like keeping that same level of energy and faith throughout the entire thing. Yeah. And what really helps is scheduling as much as you can before you're in the middle of that launch. So like if you can get all your emails written and scheduled, all your social media posts written and scheduled, obviously you can't schedule lives, but you can tell your audience like I'll be going live on this day and this time and then stick to it. Yeah, for sure. Oh my God, I yeah. need to listen to that. <laughs> I'm, I'm like the last one emailer. <laughs> oh, like, and look, like, so do I. Sometimes if I'm getting a lot of emails from questions, uh, like emails from people with questions, I'll send, I'll write a last minute email answering that question. You know, like a lot of it you do have to make up as you go, but if you can get as much of it done beforehand, oh my God, that just takes so much pressure off. Another side question, how, okay, because we obviously are like inundated and I know you may, you've got a few episodes on email marketing Mm. on the podcast, but we're so inundated with marketing emails. Like I'm looking at my email this morning. I had like 78 new emails from yesterday and zero of them were for me, like Ah. that I actually needed to read. Um, (laughs) Half of them were unfortunately from a Viagra shop because I have spam up today, but but most of the other ones were from people's launches, right? Yeah. Up to so. I think we're so, a lot of people really do kind of just, oh yeah, like bulk delete. How do you mm. avoid that happening as the marketer? Like how do you get your emails open yeah. and clicked on? 
I think so much of it lies in what you send people in between your launches as well. So not just emailing them when you're selling them something, but emailing them like when you have a cool story to share, when you want to teach them stuff, you know, like constantly getting them used to the value that your emails give. Yeah. That That's one big thing. Telling stories is another big thing. Like people don't want to just read another promo email. If you can tie your promotion into a nice story that they enjoy reading, make it a little bit funny, whatever, like whatever fits your brand, that is such a good way to stand out. The other thing that I've just started doing, and this didn't sit right with me at the start, but it has been so effective and I've realized like people don't care, is so when you send an email, 24 hours later, resend it to people who haven't opened it. Because a lot of the time people don't aren't looking at the inbox they don't like they skip past a lot of emails just change the subject line and send the same email and you'll be amazed like how many more people open it that's awesome yeah because most people would bog delete because your emails yeah. are a bunch of grads. yeah exactly right <laughs> i love that strategy okay so we were up to push Yes. And then the last one is post-launch. And yeah, we kind of already talked about this. It's looking at your numbers. It's looking objectively because so often we think like, oh, this launch has been a failure. But then when you actually look at the numbers, it's like, oh, maybe this wasn't such a failure. It's, you know, it's about taking that objective look at it rather than how we feel about it. So yeah, looking at the numbers, thinking about like, okay, what worked well? What didn't work well? What can I do differently next time? You know, like the planning for the next launch, taking what you've learned from this launch and applying it to your next launch and then setting a date for your next launch. Because I know it's, it's the last thing you want to think about when you've just come out of a launch is like, when am I launching again? When do I have to do this thing again? But it's so important because then you have something to work towards next time. Do you think there's an amount that's like too many launches? I guess if we were looking at a 12-month period, because I know some people who launch like one after the other, after the other, after the other. Yeah. From a marketing perspective, do you think there's such thing as launching too much? I would say, well, I mean, yes, because you burn out. It is exhausting. It's a lot of work and it does take a bit of time to like warm your audience up for the launch. Yeah. Um, That said, like... I love launching, so I probably launch more than I should. <laughs> but for your average, like for your average person running a business, I would say like one launch a quarter is a good focus. It gives you enough time to actually do everything properly and to warm your audience up for it and to not burn yourself out, to take like a holiday after your launch because you've probably deserved it. <laughs> yeah, All sure. of these things. Can we just take a step back? Because in the promotion, you said one of the best things to do is kind of like ramp it up before Mm. the launch. And you just mentioned it again then. If we were taking it back to that person who doesn't really have an audience, they maybe have just launched their business a couple of months ago. They maybe have a few hundred people on their Instagram, but they're not like, you know, most of them Mm. are their family and friends. (laughs) Like they are wanting to create a product. They're wanting to do a launch. Mm. Where did they even start? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it's so much harder these days than it used to be because of the algorithm and all of that. But so I would always recommend trying to get people on your email list over your Instagram audience. Yes. It's like, it's nice to have an Instagram audience and it's a great way for you to have that two-way conversation with them. Like when you're showing up live, but at the end of the day, when you're going into a launch, it's so much more valuable having people on your email list. 
So what I would always suggest doing is creating like some kind of free content or something that you can give them in return for their email list and then promoting the hell out of that. So whether that's running paid ads to it, whether it's jumping in Facebook groups where your ideal customer, your ideal client hangs out and promoting it in there. Like you've got to be careful, obviously. A lot of Facebook groups will kick you out, but like finding those groups where you can promote and sharing that in there. I mean, like I, I do really believe you have to have a bit of a budget for paid ads. It doesn't need to be a huge budget, but just having a budget that's in line with what you want to achieve. So if you want to have a massive million dollar launch first time round and you've got no audience, like you kind of need to spend a bit more than $5 a day on ads. Yeah. <laughs> what? You can't make a million dollars yeah. for $5? Well, I mean, it probably, it's probably been done, right? But for most of us, it's not <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm. I love that so much. What do you think, how, how can someone determine whether their launch has been a failure i know it's more so okay i guess if they haven't achieved their goals but i love what you said before like a lot of people would think oh i didn't make my financial goal this is a failure like Mm. what to you is an unsuccessful launch i know you said mentioned that you had an unsuccessful launch recently which i'd love (laughs) to talk about what happened you said tech issues but like yeah what would you say what would be your determining factor of this launch wasn't successful. Yeah, I guess it's it comes back to like the profitability of that launch. Yeah. So if you spent more on ads, if you spent more like manufacturing the product, whatever, than you actually made from that launch, then you know it's been a failure. Yeah. If it's still profitable, then like even if you didn't hit your financial goal, you just know that you can invest more like more in ads or more in um like promoting it more in influences, whatever you're using to promote it. And then you can actually scale it up next time. But the main thing is that that launch was profitable and that people were converting. What happened with this launch recently? Oh, it was, it was a nightmare. And this was, yeah, this was when I actually climbed into bed and drank wine in bed at like probably 11 AM. So no, what happened was I had 900 people registered for, I think it was like three or four webinars across a couple of days. And for some reason, everyone registered for the first webinar, which was like, I think Monday, 9am or something. And 10 to 9, I log on to my webinar platform and I'm like, okay, I'm going to jump in there, go live, start talking to people, get them to introduce themselves, you know, all that jazz. I click go live and the platform started showing the spinning wheel, going live now, going live now. And it's, it just stayed like that for about half an hour and it just never, never worked. And that was 450 people who'd registered for that first webinar. So that was half of all of my webinar registrants. Oh my gosh. So that Did was you painful. Did you see how many people were on live? No, but I was getting all these emails in my inbox being like, hey, like, am I on the right link? And like, I've put my kids to bed. I'm really pissed off that I can't come to your webinar. And I was like, oh my God, believe me, like I am just as frustrated as you are. Was this the first time you used that software? No. And that's the thing. I've used it in the past and this is meant to be like one of the best ones, but yeah, it just didn't, this time it just didn't go. So how did you bounce back? How did I bounce back? So I went, I went home from my co-working space, climbed into bed, drank wine. Um, and then I, I messaged one of my really good business friends and I was like, I literally think I need to apply for a job. Like this has just been so shit. I don't think I can do the ups and the downs anymore. And she called me and she was like, okay, so here's what you're going to do, right? So I had another webinar scheduled for that afternoon 
And meanwhile, I've had like half a bottle of wine and I'm in tears and there was just no way I could do that webinar. I didn't even know if the platform was going to work because they like their support was in the US. It was the middle yeah. of the day here. So their support was offline. They couldn't tell me that it was going to work. And I was just like, okay, I need to cancel this webinar. And she walked me through it. She was like, okay, so what you're going to do is you're going to send an email to everyone who's registered for this afternoon's webinar. You're going to say, look, this is what happened. You're going to paint the picture of what it was like when you click that button to go live and it just didn't work. And yeah, tell the story. Exactly. And make them feel the feelings that I was feeling when that happened. Yeah. So that's what I did. And I gave them the option to re-register for a different day and everyone was fine with it. Like people were so understanding. So that was good. I did lose obviously a lot of people who had registered to attend live the first time. Yeah. I did lose a lot of them, which was a pity. And like, obviously that impacted on the overall financial result of the launch. But the main thing is it was still profitable. Yeah. So I guess like, yeah, in my definition, it's, it wasn't a failure, but if it certainly felt like it. Yeah. But there's so many layers to that story and I love it so much. First of all, oh my gosh, just the power of having business friends and business besties, right? Like that's oh my one of God. my core values. Like that's what the Game Changer Company is all about. Just like bringing people together. That's why I love the podcast so much. Like having these really chatty conversations because it truly is like, there's been so many times where I felt exactly the same. Like I can't do this. I suck. Like what am I doing? And it literally is the advice of someone else that's just pulled me out of it. Cause we all get like that, not just in business, but in life, like we all get like dramatic melancholy. <laughs> times where like I can't do this. Like someone else needs to just slap you and say, come on, you're way better than that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's like, it's just so nice. Also knowing that you're not the only one who's going through that everyone else has been through the same thing and yeah, you don't know what you don't know, right? Like people, other people can give you advice because they've been through that same thing. And just like you've been through things that they haven't when that happens to them, because again, like we all go through the same stuff eventually when that happens to them, you can help talk them off the ledge. Yeah. I love that. And the other thing that I really loved from that story is like exactly what you were saying earlier, just tell stories because you are a human being, your audience are human beings and people are a lot more forgiving than we lead them to believe. Like (laughs) really at the end of the day, like fuck ups happen, like things happen. And especially with the tech industry. Mm. I mean, it's just the way that it is. And if you actually are honest and vulnerable with people, they're more likely to forgive you than if you try to cover up the truth. (laughs) It's so true, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah, at the end of the day, we're just human. There's only so much we can do, right? Oh my God, I love it. Honestly, I've loved this episode. Thank you so much for being so incredibly valuable and like going into no, all thank, the details. And thank you. Story. It's been such a pleasure. So where can everyone find you? What can they look forward to? What's yeah. going on? Details. Oh my God, there's so much happening at the moment. Um, no, so you can find me at stephtaylor.co is where I live on the internet. You can listen to my podcast, Socialette, in all of the main podcast apps or you can go to stephtaylor.co forward slash podcast for that. And you can find me on Instagram at stephtaylor.co where I will be announcing all the exciting things that are happening very, very soon. I can't quite mention them just yet, but yeah, they'll be happening soon. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Honestly, I appreciate it your time so 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 thank you so much for having me
Okay, whoa, is anybody else just like so incredibly inspired right now to go launch something? Because I know after speaking to Steph that I was just so, 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 so excited about it. So as always, if you did enjoy the episode, I would very much appreciate it if you go and subscribe and leave us a review. But most of all, please do reach out to us, myself and Steph, and let us know what you thought. Tag us on your social media, tag us in your Instagram stories, because we really do want to know that this episode helped you It is so, 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 so valuable for us to know that information. But also, I really, really appreciate your time and I will see you in the next one. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.